0: freedom church and as the body of Christ around the world, that we will be a church that is ready when you come back. That you will bring to completion the work that you've begun in us as individuals and in us as a church, Lord, bringing us to full holiness, bring the gospel around the world, and that we may be active in the role that you've called us to of representing you to the world around us, Lord. May we grow in our faithfulness to you, May you be glorified in and through us, Lord, as individuals and as a church family. We thank you for the promise that Jesus is returning one day. And I pray that between this day and that, that we will grow in our faithfulness to him and in our love for him. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. There is something that is incredibly powerful when you have a group of people who is working joyfully and unselfishly towards A common goal. Joyful and unselfish work towards a common goal. I think, for instance, of the Golden State Warriors. Many of you are familiar with the Warriors. They set an NBA record this past week for the most wins in the regular season in NBA history. This season, their record was 73 wins and only 9 losses. I mean, it's pretty astounding when you consider something like that. And throughout this season, many people were astounded not only By the winning percentage of the Golden State Warriors, but as much or more so about the beauty and about the joy that these Warriors experienced in how they played the game of basketball. In the current issue of Sports Illustrated, there's a story about a 78 year old woman named Beth who, throughout most of her life, was never really a fan of basketball at all. She didn't really care one way or the other. But then this last fall, she was at a dinner party where a Warriors game was on TV she watched a little bit of it and listened to her response it says that she was riveted by steph curry steph curry is one of their stars and she began dvring golden state games to share with others soon enough she was staying up until 1:30 a.m. agonizing over outcomes she emailed friends to ensure that they too were witnessing the grace of this unselfish team the, quote, contagious pleasure they took in the game, as she puts it. Do you hear that? She's captivated by what she calls the grace of this unselfish team and the contagious pleasure that they take in the game. The Warriors, in many ways, epitomize the power that happens when you have a group of people who is joyfully enjoying each other and is working together unselfishly towards a common goal. The Warriors have a very strong team culture that has been intentionally developed over the years, and this really fuels their success as a team. In basketball, as in other sports, it's not enough just to have superstars on your team. The Warriors have that, but so do many other teams. But the Warriors, their their secret ingredient is how they work together as a team. And today we are studying not basketball, although we're referencing it. What we are studying is how we as a church family can work together joyfully and unselfishly towards a greater goal than an NBA record or an NBA championship, towards the goal of growing in Christ's likeness, of helping each other grow as followers of Christ, of enjoying Him more, and of glorifying Him in the world around us. This is what we're talking about today. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are in a series right now called Roots, which is examining the underlying values that shape and nourish our vitality as a church family. And today in the book of Acts, uh, we are coming to a passage that is in the early church. And it's not too long at all after Jesus ascended into heaven. And Acts chronicles the, the account of the early church from about 30 A.D. to about 60 A.D., And we saw last week that Jesus and his ministry here on this earth was very, very relational. A majority of his time was invested in 12 disciples, and he was preparing them to lead this Jesus movement after Jesus himself was no longer physically on the scene. And so for us, we no longer have Jesus physically, literally here with us either. And so this is going to be a very instructive uh, study for us this morning and how the dynamics of the church should operate now. And we're going to see what the disciples did, how they built that certain dynamics that came from Jesus into the early church. And just before our passage that we're looking at today, the Apostle Peter has just preached a sermon in Jerusalem, and about 3,000 people became followers of Christ as a result of that sermon. Listen to what happens next. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now as we rewind to the beginning of this passage, verse 42, we see four keys for healthy churches. One of the keys is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And in today's context, we need to equate that with biblical teaching because we no longer have these types of apostles who are the disciples who literally followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. We don't have that type of apostle anymore. But we do have Scripture. You have to understand that as Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we have Scripture that that should be the foundation, needs to be the foundation of any church that wants to be a healthy, God-honoring church. So biblical teaching is a key for a healthy church. The second key is that they devoted themselves to fellowship. And this is talking about sharing life together. The the Greek word here is the word koinonia, which, again, simply talks about sharing life together. And so we see that there is a very highly relational togetherness in the dynamics of the early church. A third key is the breaking of bread, which um, is really all about sharing meals together. Breaking of bread in this context could refer simply to the Lord's Supper. But I think it is more than just that. Down in verse 46, it says uh, that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So I think that this could certainly include the Lord's Supper, but it's more than just that. And we have to understand that back in the early church, when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, it was typically done in people's homes in the context of a full regular meal. And so they were eating together, sharing meals together. And on top of this— we see at the end of verse 42 that they were praying together. Prayer is a declaration of dependence on God. And that is incredibly important if we want to be a healthy church, to be praying together, not just as individuals, even though that's important, but praying together as well. Now, an interesting question that might come up is: you look at this list of things, biblical teaching, sharing life together, sharing meals together, praying together, is, is there an order of importance here? I mean, are some of these more important than others? For instance, is prayer more important than fellowship? Or is biblical teaching on top of the heap of all of them? I mean, you could make some case for certain things like this, but at the same time, I don't think that question is all that helpful. It's kind of like asking, okay, which is more important, air, food, or water? I mean, which one of these would you choose if you can only choose one that's most important, air, food, or water? I mean, you're not going to last that long without any of them. I mean, air is going to be the quickest to take you out, but food and water are not that far behind. They're all vitally important. And it's the same thing in church, especially if you understand that sharing meals together also probably includes the Lord's Supper. These are all vital keys to having healthy church dynamics. Now, we're going to return to Acts chapter 2 in a few moments, but I want to take a minute just to step back. The series that we are in right now is called Roots. And it's all about understanding what are the values that specifically shape and nourish Freedom's Church. And the value that we are looking at today is titled humble cojourners. Now you probably know what the term humility means, uh, but you may be wondering what in the world is co cojourner? And I'll tell you, if you go try to look it up in the dictionary, you probably won't find it. I, I tried it. You won't find it in there most likely. But, but the term co co-journer really comes from two different parts, two different words. May, parts make up that word. First is the prefix co, which means together or with. And journer simply means someone who's on a journey. And so a co co-journer, co-journer is someone who comes alongside of others in their journey, and specifically for us as Christians, is someone who comes alongside of others to help them grow as followers of Christ. So this is what a cojourner is all about. Now coming back here to Acts chapter 2, we see this idea, this relational idea of people coming together and helping each other grow as followers of Christ. For instance, verse 44 says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. I mean, they are sharing life together and including, they're sharing their possessions together. And verse 45 goes even further. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone as they had need. So, I mean, this is incredibly sacrificial, incredibly generous. And they're literally selling their stuff in order to provide money for those in their midst who had needs. I mean, it's an incredible togetherness coming alongside of others to help them out in practical ways. Verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There are two different activities going on here. On one hand, they're meeting as a large group in temple courts. Remember, 3,000 people had come to faith in Christ, and this is where the large groups would meet, most likely uh, to receive the apostles' teaching. That was the main place that they would have received the apostles' teaching. And I I think that's kind of like a big church service where you have a lot of people together receiving teaching, worshiping the Lord together, But then there's this other context as well, a much smaller social setting when it says they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So they were meeting as a large group, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands, but then they were meeting in smaller groups as well in people's homes. These groups were probably in the range of 15 to 40 people, and this provided an opportunity to engage in deeper relationships, to share life together in more significant ways. They were co-journeying with one another. And so it's very clear that relational ministry was a very major part of the early church culture that was being developed there. And there was a joy and a love that these early believers had for each other as they worshiped God, as they grew spiritually, as they invested in relationships. There was a deep joy and love that was contagious to others. We see in verse 47, they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the, the, the dynamic that we see here using terms of the up and out triangle is that they had very vibrant up relationship with God and in relationship with each other. And then as a result of that, it created a, a, a dynamic where the gospel was incredibly contagious in their out relationships with the world around them. And I mean, just what a beautiful picture you have here, very dynamic picture of God working in their midst and through them, growing them as Christ followers and extending the gospel to others as well. And so we see that the early church, they certainly devoted themselves to teaching. That's, that's vital for a healthy church. But, but also very vital as well is devoting themselves to c- togetherness, co-journeying with one another as they are following Christ. I want to return to that topic of co-journeying together. We have to understand that when we are on a journey, it's oftentimes very beneficial to go on that journey with other people. I mean, yeah, some of us like to be alone at times, especially those who are more on the introverted end of the spectrum. Yet at the same time, we recognize, you know what, frequently on road trips, it's very nice to have someone going with us on that journey. Or if you're going to jog around around town, sometimes it's very helpful and encouraging to have someone else going with you, to encourage you to keep going when you're getting tired and just some conversation partner along the way. Or for a student who is on a journey through a very difficult class. I can speak from experience. It's very helpful to have other students coming alongside of you to journey through that difficult class together. Or think about an alcoholic seeking to gain long-term sobriety then in that type of context, it's incredibly important. It's vital to have cojourners along the way with them, walking with them, coming alongside of them to help them maintain that long-term sobriety. So when we are journeying through life, whether work, school, family, church, whatever, walk with God, it's incredibly important that we have cojourners with us along the way. I want to just give you a picture of what it looks like to have someone co-journeying with you. And this is not a directly spiritual uh, example, but it's one that's relevant in my own family right now because one of the major journeys that my family is on is the journey of parenting. And parenting is filled with many ups and downs. And it has many joys, but it also at times has many different trials. And for my family, one of the, one of the specific trials that we deal with is childhood trauma that our children experienced before we adopted them, before they came into our home from early childhood. Because they they both came from orphanage settings, and they continue to deal with some very specific challenges related to that. And we are so incredibly thankful that there are many people around us who are cojourners with us in this process. I think of family and friends locally, and a family especially in other parts of the country as well, who are an incredible encouragement, very uh, supportive, in even in very practical ways, even people in this church who come alongside of us and help us along in this process. I think also on a deeper level of cojourners, I think of other adoptive families who have similar situations and similar challenges and how they have firsthand experience and understanding what we're going through. And so they were able to co-journey with us with that and help out so much in the process. And there's another level as well, our therapist, um, who's a therapist for our children and also uh, is more of a parent coach for Shelley and I. Her name is Samantha Wilson, and we call her Dr. Sammy. That's what she likes to go by. That's a picture I got off the internet of her. So you kind of see a face of one of the co-journers who goes along with us, and, and she's incredibly helpful, giving us a lot of helpful practical input and how to create a, a healthy home environment to address some of the issues that we're dealing with. She's a huge encouragement along the way. There have been multiple times where she calls our house specifically to talk with Shelly, because Shelly's the main one who's taking our kids down there most of the time. But just talk with Shelly, to encourage Shelly. I mean, one time I came home and there was a message on the answering machine, checked a message, it's Dr. Sammy, just leaving an encouraging message for Shelly. One time after a particularly difficult uh, visit to the therapist with Tehila, Dr. Sammy sent a long handwritten note to Shelly in the mail. They think, you know what, how powerful that is. I mean, it's not all sunshine and joy and fun with Dr. Sammy, though. There are times where she challenges us, especially when she identifies that there is some type of unhealthy thinking or unhealthy perspective on something that's going on. She challenges us, and that is also a key to having healthy cojourners in our lives. She's a major source of hope for us in this journey and in some of the challenges that we face. And I just think, you know what? It's so valuable to have cojourners with us in our lives. And if this is true in parenting, if it's true in work, if it's true in school, how much more true is it in our walk with God? In our Christian lives, we need cojourners who will come alongside of us and who we come alongside of other people in the same way to help each other grow as followers of Christ. For instance, we need people whom we know are devoted to us, no matter what happens. We need people who rejoice with us when things are going well, but then on the other hand will grieve with us when our circumstances stink. In those times when we are down, though, we also need people who will breathe life into us and help us get back up and keep going rather than wallowing in our sorrow. On the other hand, there are times where we need people to challenge us and to call us out when we are in the wrong, kind of like Dr. Sammy does with Shelley and I. And when we're caught in the tentacles of sin, we need someone who we can confess our sin to honestly because that confessing of sin is key to growing in healing and in holiness. We need people who can help carry our burdens through life, people whom we know are praying for us beyond a shadow of a doubt. They aren't just giving us lip service, but we know that they are dedicated to praying for us. We need these types of people in our lives if we are to grow as healthy followers of Christ. And you know what? God actually commands us to live in this way to those around us. It isn't just wishful thing, and it's not just a conjecture from um, this, this idealistic heart of relational ministry out of Acts 2 or something like that. When you look in the New Testament, there's a series of commands called the one another commands. There are somewhere in the range of 40 of them. Different scholars come up with different numbers depending on how they count. But it's these one another commands that teach us and actually call us to live in a certain way relationally with other Christians around us. Let me give you some examples, and you may hear the echo of what I just said earlier about what we need as Christians. For instance, we are told in Scripture to love one another, to be devoted to one another, to honor one another, to rejoice and to grieve with one another, to serve one another, to restore one another from their sin, to carry one another's burdens, to forgive one another, to encourage one another, to offer hospitality to one another, to confess our sins one to another, and to pray for one another. That's just a dozen of the 40 different one another commands that we see in Scripture. If you want to do more research on it, I encourage you, just go to Google. Type in one another commands of the New Testament. And, and it, there are so many resources out there to study these commands that God gives us for how we relate to one another as we are cojourners journers in following Christ. Now one of the questions is, do you have someone in your life who you can have this one another type of relationship with? Who you know is praying for you? Who will rejoice with you? Who will grieve with you? Who will challenge you when needed? Who you can openly confess sins to, but know they'll be devoted to you even if you lay out the ugliness of what's going on in your heart? We need people like that. I think one of the great blessings in my life is I've had many different men who have been co-journers with me in this journey of following Christ since I became a Christian about 17 years ago. Back when I was in seminary, my very first semester, there's a required class called Personal Assessment and Intro to Ministry. And the main focus of this class is just trying to seek greater understandings of how God has shaped and equipped us ministry, how God's led us to grow in our walk with him and where he's leading us in the future. And the capstone project is really bringing together all the different aspects of the class together. And there is this creative requirement in this capstone project. You had to create something creative that indicated how God had formed you spiritually or something that was important to you in your development. And so I'm not extremely creative, but I came up with this photo collage. These are co-journers. I did not use that phrase back then. But these are other men who are very significant in my life, or I in theirs, in following Christ. And this was just from 1999 when I came to Christ to 2005 when I made this. But some of these men in this picture were further along the journey with Christ than I was. They were perhaps the people who led me to faith in Christ or had mentored me in one-on-one or in small group relationships. Or they were pastors who I had a relationship with and they helped me to grow. So some of these people who were co-journers were further along in the journey, but they came alongside me to help me grow. Many others in, the, in this collage were peers, people who we were about in the same place in our walk with God and the journey with Christ. But we came alongside of each other in more of a mutual discipling relationship, helping each other grow, encouraging one another, holding one another accountable. And then there are many others in this picture who are people who maybe are younger than I am, spiritually speaking, and I was able to come alongside of them and help invest my life in theirs to help them to grow. Being cojourners is so valuable and so important in our walk with God. And if I were to make another one uh, from 2005 up to present day, I'd add many, many more people do this as well. But you know what? There's incredible power and value to co-journeying with people around us. We need that. We are all designed to be co-journers. We are not designed to be isolated individuals. But we are designed to, to walk alongside of one another to help each other grow as followers of Christ. I'm on the same journey that you all are on. Sometimes that surprises people to hear the pastor say, you know what, I'm I'm a relatively normal guy who loves Jesus, who wants to help others grow closer to Jesus. That's really my calling in life. Love Jesus, help others grow as well. You know what? That's your calling as well. Now, the way we live out that calling might be a little bit different vocationally, but still, we all have that calling to grow in our love for Jesus and to help others grow as well. We might be in different parts of the journey. Some people might, might be farther along than other people. And that's fine. We're all called to come alongside of one another and help each other grow. As I said, I'm on the same journey as everyone else. And, and like I said, that, that shocks some people. Some people put pastors up on a pedestal and think, you know what, pastors are some, in some completely different realm. No, pastors are on the same journey as everyone else. But pastors do have a responsibility. I want to point you for a few minutes to Ephesians chapter 4, which describes one of my primary responsibilities as a pastor. Ephesians 4, I'm just going to read a few different verses from here. First of all, verse 11 and 12. Paul writes, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the whole body of Christ may be built up. Now jumping ahead to verses 15 and 16, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now, there are many different descriptions in Scripture of the role of a pastor. But this is one I gravitate to very significantly because it describes the role of a pastor as not being someone who is doing all the ministry. Like all of you are the recipients of the ministry. I'm the one doing it. No. The the pastor is called to be an equipper, equipping God's people for works of service. And how does the body of Christ grow here? Verse 16. It grows and builds itself up in love as each part. Does its work. Everyone, every Christian has a role to fulfill in the body of Christ. And we are going to be a very anemic body of Christ if everyone's not contributing their own part. If we do not see ourselves as co-journers, who, who play a role in each other's lives, who are coming together to help each other grow as Christ followers. One of my roles as a pastor is to equip equip the entire church family to be growing. But you know what? Your calling is very much the same. Again, it might be different vocationally, but your calling is also to come alongside of each other. Come alongside of me, even. Help, help each other grow as followers of Christ. This last week I was meeting with a, a, a man who's been attending Freedoms for a little bit over a year. And we were just talking about a variety of different things. And he was talking about his growth and... Um, how he likes freedoms and stuff like that. And one of the comments he made really caught my attention. He said, not only are you my pastor, but you're my friend. And I thought, you know what? That is great because that's really a big part of my heart. I want to be able to pastor people. I want to be able to help people grow spiritually. But at the same time, I'm not some completely different species of person. I I want to be a friend as well. And I believe that the best way to help someone grow is not just to teach them from a distance, but it's also to come alongside of people, to relationally invest in people and to help them grow. So it warms my heart to hear, you know what? I'm not just a pastor. I'm a friend. But you know what? It takes all of us. Caring for each other, building each other up. That's what the body of Christ is called to do. So this is one of the distinctive characteristics, one of the distinctive values of Freedom's Church. The mentality that we are seeking to live out is that we are humble cojourners helping each other grow as followers of Christ. Are we always going to be perfect in this? No, but we're trying. And this is the goal that we have. Be humble co-journers who help each other grow as followers of Christ. So what are some implications of this, practically speaking, in how we do life together as a church? Well, one practical implication of being co-journers in this following of Christ is that we all have a vital responsibility for each other's growth. This idea that we are co-journers, that we are, are responsible to help each other grow, it makes a world of difference. It's, it's so much different than simply having the attitude of, well, I come to a church service, I receive uh, the, the teaching and the music and stuff like that, and then I go out about my day and my week. It's such a different perspective because this perspective of co-journer says, you know what, I have a responsibility to invest in the lives of those around me. You know what, it's not just my responsibility as a pastor to do this. In fact, I can't do this with the entire church family. We have too many people here at Freedom Church. We aren't a massive church, but we're a large enough church that I know people who are here that I can't invest deeply relationally in everyone. I mean, you think about the early church, Acts. You have 12 apostles. You have 3,000 new believers. There's no way those 12 apostles are going to be able to invest relationally in all 3,000 people. And that is why you have the one another commands of Scripture. That's why they're meeting in small groups in people's homes and not just in large groups to receive the apostles' teaching. Because we have a responsibility to invest in each other's lives. I can't do it all myself, and I'm not supposed to. We're all supposed to invest in each other's lives to help each other grow spiritually. So we're in it together. A second implication is that as a church, we strive to care for people as people and not just for what they give. You know what? It's important uh, to each bring to the table the gifts and talents that God's entrusted to us. But one of our mentalities, especially within the leadership of the church, is that we do not want to squeeze out everything that someone has to give to the point of burnout. This is something that can easily happen in churches. We care that people are healthy in the way that they are serving. We care for people about as people more than what they can give. Now, it is important to be, to be giving and to be serving in the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ. But we care for people as people. So what this means is that, you know what, in those times where someone comes to me and says, you know what, I'm just, I'm just this ministry doesn't really fit me very well, or, you know what, I, I think I want to do something else right now, or, you know what, I just have so much going on in my life right now, and I just feel so overwhelmed. In those times, I'm not going to say, well, you know what, we need you there, so just keep on doing it. No, we care for people as people, because we are on a journey together. And so we want to make sure that if people are serving in the church, that they are doing it in a way that brings them joy, that brings them life, that fits their gifting and their interests. Because we care for people as people, because we are cojourners, helping one another grow as followers of Christ. A third implication is that we rejoice in one another's growth and success. There's not a competition here thinking, well, who's a better teacher? Who can get more people to come to their small group? Who knows more Bible verses? There's not a competition here. Instead, we rejoice in each other's growth and success. You think about the Golden State Warriors. They have this very intentional team culture where the, everyone is a valued contributor on the team, even the last person on the bench. They are made to feel like they are a major part of the team because it's a family atmosphere there on the Golden State Warriors. It's the same thing with us as a church family. You know what? For me, it doesn't bother me at all When other people lead Sunday morning classes that are significantly larger in attendance than my Sunday morning class. I'll bet you that's what's going to happen this morning. (laughs) You can definitely come to Huddle 101 that I'm teaching if you'd like. But I'm going to bet that the other two classes are going to have more than mine. I'm fine with that. I I actually, I'm not just fine with it. I rejoice at that because I I deeply enjoy and find uh, just great exuberance in seeing other people thrive spiritually and other people use their gifts to serve the body of Christ. We should rejoice in each other's growth and success. That's part of being a humble cojourner. And finally, we humbly meet people where they are. That's a part of coming alongside of them. That even if someone comes in and they have a really messy past, uh, we come alongside of them. We don't stand over here in a standoffish sort of way saying, well, you don't really fit the mold here. Or, you know what, I, <laughs> I don't really know if, if this is going work to out, work out very well. We just we try to come alongside of people. And I rejoice that here in the Freedoms family, we have such a diversity of people diversity age-wise, diversity, diversity socioeconomically. Um, I mean, I think sometimes about how, um, I mean, it's a pretty level playing field where you can have people who are recovering drug addicts and alcoholics sitting next to someone who has a PhD or runs a large company. I love that dynamic because we are all humble cojourners where, you know what, whether you aren't even a Christian yet, whether you're an atheist, we want to come alongside of you and help you grow towards Christ. Or on the other end of the spectrum, if you've been a Christ follower for 80 decades, not 80 decades, <laughs> eight decades or 80 years, you know what? Still, you're a co-journer. We are in this together. And you think about the Golden State Warriors. They have this beautiful thing going that's still ongoing through the playoffs here. A beautiful thing going that comes from teamwork, from joyfully um, sharing common goals together and doing it in an unselfish way. They're, they're pursuing significant goals. But their goals are not nearly as significant as the goals that we are pursuing. It's not to denigrate the NBA or anything like that. It's just recognizing the eternal nature of the value of following Christ and of making Christ known to those around us, of being that church that is ready for His return. And should we not dedicate ourselves with joy and with humility, with unselfishness, with dedication to building each other up as the followers of Christ and being a church that, that honors him, a church family that lives out the one another passages and enjoys life together. As we do this, I'm excited to think about the possibilities, just like in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that, that as we are praising God that we will enjoy the favor of all the people and that the Lord will add to our number daily those who are being saved. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that, again that you are a gracious God and that you welcome us into your family through faith in Christ, that we can be brothers and sisters in Christ here in this church family, but also uh, that we do have a church family, Lord. What a blessing that is, that we have people around us who care about our well-being, Lord. And I pray that you will continue to grow us as a church family who is invested in each other's lives in healthy ways, in ways that build each other up as followers of Christ. I pray that we will not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but that we will encourage each other and that we will grow as cojourners. And as others come into our midst in the coming weeks, months, and years, that we will come alongside them as well. And that you will be pleased to work through us, Lord, to help more and more people come to faith in Christ. We pray these things in his name and for his glory. Amen.